Welcome to the Italian American Podcast. The first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about and celebrate their brilliant heritage. We're your hosts, Anthony Fasano and Dolores Alfieri Taranto. We're first generation and third generation Italian Americans from the same small village outside of New York City. As writers and speakers, we've both spent years exploring Italian American identity. And through this podcast, we continue this exploration with you. In each episode, we talk to dynamic Italian Americans, from athletes to authors to entrepreneurs, to find out how their heritage has influenced their success, their values, and their outlook on life. We do it with a lot of heart, a lot of smarts, and a lot of laughs. <laughs> As the saying goes, there are two types of people, those who are Italian and those who wish they were Italian. Whatever camp you're in, grab an espresso and get your hand gestures ready <laughs> for this episode of the Italian American Podcast. This is episode 81 of the Italian American podcast, where we will recap the year 2018. Dolores, how's it going? I'm doing well, Anthony. Just to qualify this, we're doing this, you know, right after Christmas. The holidays have been long. We're tired. It's so true. We are. But we're excited. This is going to be a fun episode. We are going to recap some of our favorite moments of the podcast in 2018, our favorite discussions from our private Facebook group, The New Neighborhood. And we're excited about that. But before we jump into that, I do want to welcome our new listeners. Even at 81 episodes, we get new listeners every episode. And I want to remind you, if you're a new listener, that we do have 80 episodes on our website at italianamericanexperience.com. You can go there, click on episodes. You can listen to them right there on the website, or you can jump into iTunes and you can listen to them there. Please subscribe to the podcast. This really helps to get the show out there to more people as do iTunes reviews, which, you know, we talk about often enough. <laughs> but if you just go to our Italian American podcast page on your phone and click on the subscribe button. It's really that simple. Yeah, it's really that easy. Just go to Italian American podcast, just Google it, click on the subscribe and iTunes, you'll be subscribed. And what's also nice about it is you get the episodes on your phone. They pop up when we publish a new episode. This way you'll get them kind of as they come out. Also, as I mentioned earlier, we do have a private Facebook group, The New Neighborhood. And the reason I want to mention it real quickly, we're going to dive into it on the episode a little bit, but I'm mentioning it now because we've gotten a ton of requests by listeners that just go to Facebook and request access to the group. And this is a private group and it is a paid for group. We charge for this group because our podcast is free and available. We use the funds from the members to really fund the podcast and allow us to put the show on and get it produced and all, all those types of things. So if you do want to join the new neighborhood, simply go to italianneighborhood.com. You can watch a little video there. You can register and then you receive an email that will give you access to the Facebook group. And you'll hear a little bit later on about some of the posts and how it's become really a family. It's really a tight knit family in the neighborhood. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. In our story segment today, I'm continuing our series with Mallory Voudois, author of ItalianFolkMagic.com, that we're doing on saints and feast days. And her husband, Dr. Alexander Cummins, also joins us. And he is author of A Book of the Magi, Lore, Prayers, and Spellcraft of the Three Holy Kings. And the reason he came on for this segment to join us is because he is the author of a book on the three kings and in celebration of the new year we will be talking about the epiphany 
about Three Kings and, of course, about La Bafana. So before we jump into this fun recap episode, I do want to take a minute to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mediaset Italia. Catch your favorite Italian shows on DirecTV, including all the newest drama, variety, news, and entertainment from Mediaset Italia. Now you can get Mediaset Italia and four more Italian channels, including Rai Italia with Italian Direct Package from DirecTV and enjoy all things Italia. Get Mediaset Italia a la carte for $10 per month plus taxes or Italian Direct Package for $20 per month plus taxes. Call 877-778-4794 today. That's 877-778-4794. World Direct a la carte service requires activation of a qualifying base package, hardware available separately at an additional cost. New customer offers require equipment, lease, and credit approval. Other conditions apply. Call 1-877-778-4794 or visit att.com for full details. All right, let's jump into this recap episode. All right, Dolores, it's time to talk about 2018 and recap it a little bit. How are you feeling today? I'm ready for it. I kind of like these episodes. We we do them every now and then where it's just me and you talking to each other. Yeah, it's fun. And <laughs> this year, of course, we had some new episodes with our Power Hour where we have our friends, our crew with us, and we, we do some different types of episodes. And we've gotten some good feedback really on both people that love when it's you and I, people love the Power Hour. So we do try to mix it up and bring different formats to the show. And again, this one is kind of – it's just us kind of talking more than having a guest. So we do enjoy these. And I know we're not talking with the listener, but it does feel like we're catching up a little bit with the listener when we do these types of episodes. Exactly. And we're really just doing our best to offer a little bit for everyone. And like you said, mix it up here and there. Yeah. I like the idea of a yearly recap kind of in your own life and on mic and in an episode like this, because you pack a lot into a year, you know, so I really do think this time of year is about, of course, about being with friends and family, but it's also about giving yourself some time to reflect on kind of what you've done, what you've accomplished. We're kind of doing that. Before we begin... How was your Christmas? Yeah, it was Christmas was good. I mean, it's it's always a lot of fun, especially when you have young kids. It kind of makes you feel a little bit like you're, you know, a kid again. <laughs> you know, you know, oh, Christmas nice. morning, you know, they're jumping through the ceiling, you know, wanting to go downstairs and <laughs> see all the gifts and all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> it is good. It's it's the holidays are the holidays with all the good. It's it's just a lot of stress sometimes and it gets very tiring. But I think overall it was fun, you know, just the time like you said reflect, catch up with everybody, you know, think about the year that's gone by. And it was fun. We had a good time. We we hosted uh, Christmas here with my wife's family and we went to my, my parents for Christmas Eve. Well, I'll tell you, in part two of the Power Hour, we talked about the holidays and several of us, including yours truly, kind of confessed that I don't like them. <laughs> And I like the build up to them. You have seen my place. It's totally Christmas out. I love Christmas music. I love Christmas movies. But there's something about the actual days themselves. But I have to say that I used John Viola's comments about he said that's why Christmas Vacation, you know, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is the best Christmas movie ever because it goes wrong. 
And that's the point. Like things like go replan, right. you plan and right. And things go wrong on Christmas. And, you know, it's not just you, you guys, listeners who take away stuff from the show. Anthony and I take away stuff all the time. But that conversation really helped to just keep me calm both days and not really let anything kind of get under my skin. Yeah. Even even when it didn't go exactly let's say, as I wanted to. I'm just like, okay, well, this is Christmas in all its messy glory. Just go with it. And it was actually one of the best Christmas Eves and Christmas days I've had in years. My first Christmas married. So we had my side of the family here on Christmas Eve. And it was a lot of work, as everybody always says, and a lot of planning. And I was really shot afterwards. But, you know, it really is worth it. It really is. And we had your brother and so Chris, now that the audience knows him, Dr. Chris Fasano, who was, of course, in a recent episode where we talked about blood memory. So him and my cousin and my godson and goddaughter and my mother and, you know, their father and my brother came over the next morning on Christmas Day. And Drew and I made breakfast for everybody uh, before we went out to his family for Christmas Day. So it was a lot, right? It is a lot, but it sounds like you channeled Clark Griswold, which made it better. You know what I did? I know I channeled John Viola's wisdom about Clark Griswold, and I cha- and I also right, channeled um, Lydia and our conversations with the great Lydia Bastianich about um, how tradition and keeping a family together is work, right, right? And someone has to do it, and so if you don't step up and say, "Hey, guys, come over Christmas morning," even though I'm exhausted and still have to go somewhere else for the night. If, if I don't do that, we wouldn't have had the beautiful morning that we had. You know, we all exchanged some more gifts. It was really nice part of the whole two days. If you're a new listener just listening to this episode, the episodes that Dolores are referring to, we did a Christmas Eve spectacular with, with our Power Hour co-hosts, which were episodes 79 and 80, which was a lot of fun. And we talked just a lot about the holidays and Christmas Eve and the history of it. And it had a lot of really, I think, good like conversations that kind of came in and out of it. And, you know, like she said, we both took a lot away from ourselves. So if you listened to it, I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't check them out, I think you'll like it. So Dolores, where are we starting on this recap? Where are you going to start us off? Well, before we start, actually, I should say that on Christmas Eve, I mentioned this in the story segment. We recorded the story segment before Christmas. So it's a little bit of a time, like a before and after. But I, on Christmas Eve, I went to the home of a close family friend. I mean, I think our audience will appreciate this story. And you have to go at midnight on Christmas Eve. And she, her name is Angelina and she's 90 years old. God bless her. And she grew up, you know, very close to where my parents grew up and her children and her grandchildren. And I've just grown up in town in the same town together, you know, and we're very close. She knows how to divine whether or not you've been given Melocchio and then also how to remove it. And you can't learn any of that. It can't be passed on to you any other day of the year. It can only be passed on to you on Christmas Eve at midnight. So it was a really big deal for me to make sure that this Christmas Eve, because I, I, you know, I knew I'd be nearby. I, I didn't forget. And we planned it because it's the first couple other Christmas Eves. You, you want to do it. You want to do it right. And then it just comes and goes and you're so wrapped up in everything you forget. So so you're certified now? I am a certified Malocchio remover. So Amici, if you need any help or any, I can do it long distance. So just shoot me an email, write me a letter. 
I'm being serious. Why are you laughing? <laughs> no, it just sounds funny. Like, you know, shoot me an email if you need. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. I mean, and I feel like I kind of, I have like a new power. Right. It's That's pretty trippy. Yeah, it was a very cool experience. My mother came with me. So technically now she can remove your malocchio as well. But I'm really happy to have been part of that. I did record her. Uh, and I don't intend to air it, but uh, there was a lot of information and she was telling a lot of stories. But, you know, in the moment itself, hearing her kind of tell you what to do and it's, it's prayers, etc. It just felt very ancient and deep. Those are two things that I'm I'm really into. <laughs> that's cool. No, the old that's, ways. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess piggybacking off of that, I have a story that is related to Christmas Eve as well. My wife's family always gets together on Christmas Eve, what used to be at Jill's grandmother's house, but um, unfortunately she passed away a few years ago, and so they do it at her aunt's house now. But this past Christmas Eve my you know my mother-in-law was there and someone took a picture of her and when they looked at the picture basically there was her mother like 30 years ago sitting at the table behind her in the photo um this is her mother that's passed away and you know we've gone through all the pictures we've gone through everyone there based on what they were wearing their hair and nobody fits this description it's it's wild stuff i sent the photo to Dolores to the whole Power Hour crew. and You sent the photo, I think it was Christmas Day night. It's kind of after everybody had was done with their festivities. And the text just started flying back and forth because this is an unbelievable photo and this is an unbelievable story. And we picked up the thread the very next morning. Yeah. And everybody, aunt, that I've shown that picture to, like Drew and family friend and my mother, one of our family friends, one of Angelina's daughters, Rena, the, the minute I showed her the photo, she literally jumped back and, and immediately had all the hair on her arm rose. Well, you could tell from the picture, right? It's not like the picture, the person is not like 100% there. Like the features are blurred, right? They're not even blurred. They're Blurred would be something you could possibly explain. I mean, one of her eyes, her eyes look kind of like sockets, but they're different sizes. And then her mouth is there's no lips. It's just kind of like an O. Right. And the thing that, that I should say, I should say, Dolores, is that, like I did say before, that she used to host Christmas Eve at, at her place every year. And she passed away a few years ago now. And so what was funny about this was Dolores, I texted Dolores and Dolores, you know, we're just talking about Mallory and stuff. She, What was it, Dolores, that you said about Christmas Eve at midnight? One of the reasons I think I don't you know, no one really ever can kind of tell me these things. But uh, that's the great thing about hosting this show is I get to talk to people like Mallory, et cetera. And I, you know, you start piecing things together. But that the reason you have to learn Malokyo at midnight on Christmas Eve. Also, I'm I'm putting together the reason why, you know, there's midnight mass and the reason why so many of us wait to put, you know, baby Jesus in the nativity scene until after midnight. It's a time thing like, OK, it's officially Christmas Day, but it's also a period where the veil between the dead and the living is lifted. And I actually was watching, I tell this story in the story segment, so I'll keep it brief, but I was watching a, a Christmas movie that I'd never seen before. And someone mentioned that as, as a tradition that was like once really well known. And that's kind of the whole idea behind uh, it was, a, it was kind of based on a Christmas carol. And that's kind of based 
the whole idea of that, right? Three ghosts come to visit. Even in It's a Wonderful Life, there's the theme of the ghosts come to visit. And that's just something that is a part of Christmas Eve tradition. It's kind of why Anthony and I are telling you ghostly stories right now, because we had our own experiences with them. And then, Anthony, you were saying that they were, by the time that photo was taken, they were eating dessert, right? Yeah, it was late. It was probably around midnight. Insane. They don't remember the exact time, but I mean, right. I, just, I know they always start eating late. So it, it was probably, right. I mean, I'm just telling you this story like here for a few minutes, but it's really an, like crazy. Like we've been talking about it for days. And oh I'm, yeah. I'm looking yeah. at the picture right now. Uh-huh. It's just insane. Like there's no one else there that even remotely fits this description. And this is the picture of her mother from like literally like 20, 30 years ago. The story and the photo are so compelling. The day after Christmas, I went through all my photos from the night, from Christmas Eve, like hoping I would see my father Yeah. in one of the pictures. I'm like, well, if it, if it happened to Jill's family, you know, maybe it yeah, could happen to ours. Uh, it was just, it was just crazy. <laughs> but I wanted it's to a share great it. Story. It was, it's really, I mean, I have the photo here and I guess we'll, we'll save it, but I'm sure we'll continue to talk about it for a while. But. You guys should, um, listeners, you know, if you have stories like that, we'd love to hear them. Send us emails or, you know, you can, you can still record uh, stories on our website. If you just go to the homepage, there's a red button on the side um, where you can send us a voice message. We'd love to hear your stories and maybe we'll even air some of them as story segments. It'd be great. So the other thing that happened this year was we introduced the Power Hour to the show. And the Power Hour is, it's a little bit of a different format. Dolores, maybe you, you could explain it. So the Power Hour is a the extension of our, our network that we've been building here. <laughs> and it's been great. It's been great for our listeners. I think it's really inserted just a new new aspect, right? New energy, let's say, into what we've been, Anthony and I have been doing for three years. And it's also just wonderful because we get to spend a lot of time with John Viola, Rosella Rago, and Pat O'Boyle, who are our friends, and we love spending time together. So it's really just been a great way to kind of keep hanging out with your friends, right? While also expanding the network and offering listeners something different. So where Anthony and I have the format where we are usually... It's me and Anthony asking a guest, a different guest on every show, questions. The Power Hour is really just a bunch of us around a table. We pick a topic and we go at it. (laughs) And we just talk for an hour, hour and a half. And it's kind of messy like an Italian family. It's loud like an Italian family dinner table. And I I think it's just a lot looser in some ways or in different way than the Italian American podcast. Yeah, for sure. It's different. It gives us a different flavor. It it allows us to really lean on the expertise of our Power Hour co-hosts. I mean, obviously, John's got so much experience with his experience from the National Italian American Foundation. Rosella with the cooking with Nona and everything she's doing in terms of food and traditions. And Pat O'Boyle is a walking encyclopedia in terms of everything related to Italian American. I mean, he's been... Uh, just such a welcome addition in the new neighborhood Facebook group and some of the things, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but it's, it's been great to kind of connect with them, have a different kind of episode and just get more knowledge. I mean, it's always about, you know, Dolores and I were pretty passionate and we, I think we've learned a lot and know a lot about Italian American history, but you know, we don't know everything. And so getting three other people involved, it gives us all these kinds of different perspectives and, and different avenues. Or just, or just getting Pat involved. Because Pat yeah. knows everything. <laughs> there, there's not many people that you could be like, 
that guy knows everything, but Pat knows everything. I, I will, I'll stake money on that. I don't know how he does it. Just also a shout out to Stephanie Gordon. Stephanie hasn't been that active on the the podcast episodes of The Power, but she's very helpful behind the scenes and producing the episodes and pulling them together. You know, they're not that easy to produce these episodes, as you could imagine, because there's... How many gray hairs do you think we've given John? I mean, yeah, attempts. John's been doing a lot of great <laughs> editing. I mean, there's five of us talking in all different directions. And, you know, if we just played it as is, this would be like, you know, parental advisory on all of these episodes. <laughs> so we do need to edit it down because this is a family podcast. But oh. nonetheless, it's been it's been good. It's been fun. And we're going to continue to expand it. You're always going to hear episodes from Dolores and I like this one and us with guests. But you're also going to hear Power Hour episodes because we think that they've added a lot to the podcast. In fact, we know they have just from the response. Absolutely. Uh, we know there are some purists out there who just want, you know, Anthony and I are not that they just want, but they're used to Anthony and I and accustomed. Um, but we we think the response and we know the response has been overwhelming uh, that people really love the power hour. And, you know, we just also hope that people who are purists understand that it's really a lot of work to put out these shows. And um, in order for Anthony and I to just keep providing content, we really needed to kind of bring in some other folks to help us with the load, with the workload. Yeah, for sure. And and that kind of funnels us into the next thing we want to talk a little bit about, which is our, our private Facebook group, The New Neighborhood, uh, a place for Italian-Americans, which you could check out at italianneighborhood.com. And we started this group a while back as a really as a way to try to – well, two things. One – you know, the thing about a podcast is you can listen all day long, but there isn't a lot of interaction for you as the listener. So we wanted to provide that interaction. And I originally had the idea for the group, but then when we got into the naming of it, I think Dolores may have come up with the name because the whole idea was there's not a lot of Italian neighborhoods out there anymore, like where a lot of our grandparents, great-grandparents, parents grew up. So we wanted to create a neighborhood online kind of like this neighborhood feeling. And honestly, I, I think it's safe to say, Dolores, that it's turned into that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is another thing that's kind of happened in the three years we've been doing this that gives me a, a lot of happiness and a lot of pride. You know, just going back to when you and I first talked about doing a show like this, we had no idea, right? Like what it was going to turn into if we'd still be doing it three years later and expanding and bringing in such amazing people like Roselle and John and Pat. But the new neighborhood is one of those things where you kind of just throw something about at the wall, right? And see if it sticks. And I think that we are both in agreement. It's just, it's successful beyond what we like kind of imagined. Yeah. It's been, it's been amazing. Uh, we have over easily over a hundred members. I don't have the exact number here, but we also just added our power, our co-host to the mix. So now we have like, you know, they're in there, especially, of course, Pat, especially like, you know, elaborating on all the history of a lot of the posts on there. Um, and actually, you know, we want to kind of get into a few of the posts and let me, let me mention one of them now, since I'm talking about Pat, one of our um, members, Mikey Barisi, who's just a phenomenal Italian American. I mean, there's no other way to say it. He's constantly doing things with his family that he's posting, teaching his kids how to make pasta and, you know, keeping so many traditions going. And he had mentioned a post where he was asking about a term called Dado or Dado. He was saying that his father used to call his grandfather and he was wondering if anyone knew where the term had come from. And of course, we know who knew where it came from. <laughs> It wasn't me. <laughs> Pat O'Boyle, because Pat is a walking Italian-American encyclopedia. And Pat 
explained to him that it was um, an ancient Neapolitan term for grandfather. And he goes into the whole long couple of paragraphs of why the word disappeared because it was really um, language for those that were kind of farmers or peasants, whereas Papa and Nono were considered kind of city and high class terms. And so Pat explained that between the 1850s and the 1930s, the term gradually died out in Italy. And, you know, Pat's big on the regional languages. We know that already from the power hours. And he really dug into it. And That's Mike, fact. yeah. And Mikey's response to it was that his father was trying to figure this out for literally something like 60, I think he said it was 60 years, 66 years. Yeah, here it is right here. I hope my father doesn't cry after reading this. He's been looking for an answer for 66 years. Thank you, Pat. So, you know, these are the type of interactions that we're having in the new neighborhood. And the reason that we did, one of the reasons, well, we made it a paid group because one, like we said earlier, helped us to produce the podcast, but also there's a lot of Italian American groups on Facebook and nothing against them, but they're so inundated that it's hard to be engaged with them and really to meet and get to know the other members in the group. So by making this a paid for group, the membership is somewhat limited in, you know, related to some of these other groups that have hundreds of thousands of people. And you actually get to know all the members by name. Some people have met in person and we're hoping to do some live events coming up and we're definitely going to be doing some special phone calls coming up with authors for the new neighborhood. And so it's just amazing to see the relationships that are getting cultivated. And really, it's amazing to see a neighborhood, really like an online neighborhood come to life. Yeah, well, basically. people are realizing they may be related. I mean, we just had a new woman join who has the same last name as Rosella's fiance. And I said to her, you know, I said, Nikki's has the same last name as you. And she's also originally from Mola di Bari, which, of course, Rosella and Nikki's families are from Mola di Bari. So I'm like, OK, we need to find out if there's a connection here. So we're going to work on she said she was going to ask her relatives get back to me so like rosella we just hopped her into the neighborhood as well so rosella now can talk to her through with it and there might be a chance that they're related and they just found new relatives and even if they're not related they're from the same town in italy and that's a connection that now she has with rosella and any other folks who are from originally from Moladibadi in the neighborhood and these conversations like you know the the conversation you just mentioned uh, about Tatone, like John's also comment, John's in here and John's commenting, telling his stories about his grandmother and, you know, something he knows about that word. And and everyone's kind of connecting and learning things about each other. And you really can't get that just by listening to the show, right? Because you're just listening to me and Anthony or the Power Hour people. Yeah. And I think, too, the thing that's important about this group that I'm realizing as we get more and more posts and more and more members is that you mentioned this earlier, you know, keeping the traditions is hard work and you need people around you to keep you going, right? Like when I see all these people in the new neighborhood posting the meals they're making and pictures of their kids cooking with them, it kind of serves as like inspiration to keep it going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, as you said earlier, you know, there's a, you can listen to a podcast, but people were looking for a way to more interact with us, you know, in the, the power hour Christmas Eve episodes, we just mentioned earlier, uh, we have this long conversation about Dominic the donkey. And then I make a comment about how I think a real Italian American Christmas movie, right. Is it's a wonderful life. Right. And I was kind of, 
a little bit as I usually am, like <laughs> I have like the opposite opinion <laughs> of everyone. And so everybody else pretty much loved Dominic the donkey. I'm not so crazy about it. We went back and forth on that. And I was kind of on my own talking about it's a wonderful life. Rosella was like, but it's not even Italian American themes. But Frank Capra, of course, was a, an immigrant from Sicily. And right. the whole spirit of that movie to me is, is the immigrant story. And there's Italians in the movie, etc. And so one of our new neighborhood members posted an article that I'd actually never seen that NPR wrote years ago about how It's a Wonderful Life is the like quintessential Italian American movie. Yeah. And that's and then I was able to say like high five, thanks for backing me up. Exactly my point. So it's a real interaction with the show. It takes it, you know, I knew he had listened to part 2 of the Christmas Eve Power Hour episode and I knew he was replying you know, having a dialogue back about something that I had said on the show. Of course, he, you know, he mentioned that in his post, but it was just easy then for everybody in the neighborhood to jump on that topic and go back and forth. Right, right. And and, and I think as Dolores, like Pat said, Pat uses this term a lot, but I think that people in the group get each other. Yes, they do. And that's because you're with you're with your people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you got a, you got a, you got a good nucleus. I mean, I'm just looking through some of the posts here. Mark made truthfully. And he shared all the pictures of him making it. And then he got all kinds of feedback from people. And some people like, this is awesome. Give me the recipe. Was it Mark or Christopher? Because Christopher also made Strufoli. He said, yeah, is there two? Mark made it too. See? Mark has a good post. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, there's so many posts. It's hard to keep but, up And the now. best is that Christopher, you said he used the recipe from Rosella's cookbook, which I love. Yeah. And oh, man, I, I'm not even, I didn't even see this post. Joe posting his Chopino that he made these scallops look amazing. I mean, they I do. Could, I could look at these pictures all day. I know. But... Well, the food pictures are like never ending in the <laughs> as good Italian, especially around the holidays. The food pictures start flying. But um, anyway, the point is, is that we'd love for you to join the group if it's something that you feel would be, you know, that you would enjoy because we are. It's basically like a family is kind of growing here and it allows us to take the podcast into a different dimension and it allows us really to build up this kind of nucleus of Italian Americans that can help inspire each other to continue to carry on the traditions. And like I said, I really think, and I, I told Dolores this before we started today recording, I really think that this group is going to continue to grow and we're going to be able to do live events and we're going to be able to do more phone calls and like web sessions with each other. Because as we get further and further away from the immigration here, we need to do more things like this. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm really proud of us that we could kind of get this ball rolling. But I'm really proud of the members of the new neighborhood because they really are the energy behind it. And without them being so enthusiastic and so passionate about their heritage, it would not be what it is. Yeah, it really. Well, I mean, it, it, that is the new neighborhood. It's the people, right? That's what a neighborhood is made up of. One hundred percent. People aren't there. Um, they're not there. So, so anyway, it's italianneighborhood.com. If you're interested in checking it out or joining us, or you could always send us an email or just come to the website and put in a message if you have questions. All right, we're gonna jump in here to kind of finish up this recap because we do also want to get to our story segment with Mallory. Just with a couple of like our favorite moments from the podcast. Uh, this year from some of the episodes from this year. Uh, Dolores, why don't you go first? There's a bunch, but I know we're, we're trying to not do a bunch. So I'm going to say that one of my favorite episodes, or not episodes, but one of my favorite moments, I think is a better way to put it, in, um, it was in episode 70, The Power of Hustle, Sarah Centrella 
on hard work and big dreams is there's a point in the show where we are talking about obviously Italian American heritage and her family and Sarah's not really, you know, a lot of our guests are very like steeped in the Italian American community and they do their work within the community, you know, like, like some of the authors, like Anthony Tambori has been a guest on in the past. He's the first name that pops to mind. You know, Anthony's career, he works at the Calandra Institute at Cooney in New York City, right? It's very Italian focused. But Sarah's not really like that. Her work, she's a, you know, a speaker, a vision board expert, and she reaches like all kinds of people. And so she's not really specifically coming just from an, an Italian American place. She's really never done an, an interview like the one she did on the Italian American podcast before. So as we were talking about her whole body of work, which is basically hustle, receive, believe, right? This is what she teaches people. She realizes on the show, as we're talking, that her belief in kind of no frills, hard work ethic that she's based her entire career on comes from her Italian heritage. Right. It's this revelation she has as we're talking. Yeah, that was cool. It was. It was in real time. And it really proved to me why this show and the work that we've been doing is so important. And it really matters in people's lives. I mean, it's great that we get to hear it from from listeners who write us and, you know, comments in the new neighborhood, etc. But to have a guest on right, who realizes, wow, this this is not just something I thought of. This is in my blood. Right. Yeah. When the guest has like a breakthrough on the show, that's exactly. That's, yeah. That was a great moment. That's pretty cool. And the, the moment that I'll pick is from the episode that we did uh, recently, episode 76 with the comedian Mike Vecchione. And it was actually, he got really emotional on this episode, just talking about his, his parents and his father who passed and really, it wasn't a funny episode. But a comedian, we were thinking maybe it would be funny. But it was, <laughs> it really, was I, funny, though. It it was, just, there was some parts that were funny, but there were some yeah. parts that were very deep that I, exactly. you know, I wasn't expecting. But the part that I enjoyed quite a bit was he talked about when he was on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno years ago. And before the show, he was out there just getting ready, kind of warming up a little bit. And Jay Leno came up to him. And they started chatting a little bit. And I think they were, you know, kind of talking a little bit about being Italian. And... Mike, I believe he was from Ohio and his parents were home and they were watching the show and he was kind of telling Jay and he goes, Jay's like, do you mind if I call your parents? And he said, I don't know. Uh, That'd be great. So Jay Leno literally called his parents and talked to his father and said like, you know, you got a great son here. You know, he's really doing well with his career. And, And basically Mike's father told him that that was like basically one of the most amazing, you know, moments of his life just because, you know. You know, you always want to see kind of like your kids make it, I guess, so to speak. And obviously getting a phone call from Jay Leno was pretty amazing talking about his son. So I thought that was a touching moment. I thought the whole episode was just took a different direction than I thought it might as a comedian. I thought he'd be kind of cracking jokes, but he was really talking about his Italian-American heritage and how also it helped him with his career and kind of like how he didn't have such a great relationship with his father. But kind of towards the end, he really you know made up with him and he was really happy. Uh, kind of at the end. So I thought that that was a really, really kind of cool episode. That was a beautiful story. And he talked about how Jay Leno was really giving him like pep talks before he was going on the show and was just such a nice guy. And of course I said, well, that must be because Jay Leno is Italian. (laughs) We got to get him on the podcast at some point. Yeah, we do. If any of you know Jay Leno, please let him know that we'd like to have him on the podcast. We'll make some time for Jay Leno. Yeah. (laughs) 
all right. So before we jump into our story segment with Mallory here, we just want to really wish you a happy new year in 2019. We're going to continue to bring you episodes. We're going to continue to bring you different types of episodes, whether it's just me and Dolores, Dolores and I with a guest, the power hour, who knows what else, you know, we'll continue to try to you never know the with show. us. Yeah. You never know. Um, and I'm just going to keep it going. And of course the theme we're talking about now in this story segment is um, related to new year's in some way, right? With the, the three Kings and then the epiphany and Lumbafana. So we, it's a whole package show folks. Enjoy. Enjoy it. Let's jump into that story segment. Okay, Amici, now on our story segment, we continue our series with Mallory Voudois, author of ItalianFolkMagic.com. And we have a special treat today because Mallory is actually here with her husband, professional diviner, magician, and historian, Dr. Alexander Cummins. So welcome to both of you. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us, Dolores. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So we're um, gearing up here for Christmas as we record this. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve. So this is a great time to do this episode because the Epiphany and La Bafana are all right around the corner. So we are going to be talking today about Epiphania, which is the Epiphany, the Three Holy Kings, and La Bafana. Did I get them all? Yes. Okay, terrific. So let's start with Epiphania. If you guys want to just give our audience a little background, what is the Epiphany? So Epiphania is a holiday. It is the 12th day of Christmas and the end of the Christmas season. It's often the time of year that we Americans think of as when the Christmas decorations come down or start to come down. But in many Catholic countries, including uh, Italy, Epiphany is more associated with some of the things that we think of as traditional ways to celebrate Christmas, such as gift giving. Gift giving is really the the, the crucial one uh, and doing so because we are meant to be honoring and celebrating and marking the day that the three wise men, the three magi, the three kings, as they come to be called as well, give gifts to uh, the infant Jesus. And so this is replicated by uh, particularly gifts to children on uh, Epiphany, which is also called, you know, the day of three kings in, you know, the various languages that that celebrate it. Oh, and so in the Italian tradition, is there anything kind of specific to the Italian tradition in this or the Italian-American tradition? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We will talk about La Befana, who is another figure who's very popular in Italy in just a second. But the three kings themselves are also really popular in Italy. They're a very common motif in the Presepe, the Christmas crushes that you find throughout Italy, but which are particularly famous uh, in Naples and the whole of Campania, really. Um, and Al has actually written a book called A Book of the Magi, Lore, Prayers, and Spellcraft of the Three Holy Kings. And it's something of a bit of an expert in them in uh, various cultures around the world, including Italy. So I'm going to turn it back over to him to talk about what they're like. Oh, thanks, Liv. 
we're familiar with the three magi probably mostly from those uh, those nativity scenes, which also get called crash scenes sometimes. But one of the older uh, medieval traditions associated with the the three kings or the three magi is procession is is this kind of pageantry, uh, and so very often people would gather together dressed as the kings and they would process towards a church. The idea being that they would give their gifts on the altar as this being the, the easiest way to get them still to, to God and to the Son of God. Now, Italy in particular has a bunch of traditions, old traditions around this kind of procession. Um, we love processions. Right. Why. right. <laughs> we have a procession for everything. It's true. <laughs> so there's a, there's a couple of those. One of the ones that I looked at in a bit more detail was the, uh, the Florentine confraternity of the Magi, uh, which carried on for, for a variety of times. We have good records for the kinds of stuff they were doing at the end of the 15th century, which included dividing the city up into uh, quote-unquote kingdoms, and each part of the city, uh, often trade guilds or uh, particular uh, courts or, or early kind of versions of um, trade union societies, uh, would especially tailors and goldsmiths because they could produce the the great you know the the wonderful costumes and things they would divide the city up into three each uh, section of the city would um, elect a king who would go forward would meet up with the other two kings and then they would process together and one of the things that I find particularly interesting about that in the in the case of the the, the Florentine traditions is that often these people would also, uh, who, who were elected kings, the young members of the, the confraternity would uh, make masks of their own fathers. And so they would dress not just as the kings, but they'd be dressed as their fathers dressed as the kings. And so there's this inherently kind of ancestralizing practice of it. Right, that they are not just copying uh, the good example of the Magi, which is a, a, a big thing that we may be wise and pious, just as the the three wise men were wise and pious. But also, we are, you know, you are honouring your, your 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 literal forefathers when you do this. And so, there are a variety of uh, versions of this. Uh, the cavalcata, as it sometimes gets called, Milan has a, a, a big one. Any places in the south? Abruzzo. Okay. Which is technically the South. I know that that's more central, but that is uh, still considered part of the South. And that's where my uh, my father's family is from, actually. Oh, OK. So this uh, idea of the masks of your father is really very intriguing. That's uh, ancestry worship at its best in some ways. I mean, uh, or ancestry respect. I'm not really sure what you call it, but it definitely touches a nerve uh, when you hear it. And do they still do that uh, up in Florence? Uh, they certainly still do the uh, the processions. You can find uh, you know videos of them on um, on the YouTube's, uh, which are which are marvelous. Um, I'm not sure if it's if they still do the tradition of of, of the the father masks because that was partly a way of 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 solidifying the political power of certain you know aristocratic families as well. Um, so I don't know if that one is still as much kind of emphasized as as heavily and as overtly. Can you guys talk a little bit more about the? the connection between Epiphany and the Three Kings and, you know, how they're one in the same, but just a little more background? Absolutely. Sure. So there's a variety of pre-Christian festivals around the 6th of January uh, and also Christian festivals as well. It's the older 
dates that was said to be the the birth of of Jesus uh, himself and this got moved to the 25th of of December at some point after the the mass conversion by Constantine there are also traditions around this being the date that Jesus was baptized by uh, John the Baptist also supposedly the date that Jesus uh, turned water into wine at the marriage of Cana and even sometimes said to be the date that Jesus fed the multitude with the the loaves and fishes. So what we get is the idea that the date is very important to to the life of of, of Jesus as he goes through his, his his years. But the the root tradition having something to do with blessing water, which is a very common thing for uh, other Epiphany traditions as well. Literally blessing the three kings water uh, in Germany, the the, the dry uh, Königswasser. Uh, and, and I think there are similar uh, traditions uh, throughout Italy as well of going and getting blessed water and uh, sprinkling it about the house. But the, the main idea is that it is uh, slightly after the 25th, when Jesus is born by this new calendar reckoning, that uh, the, the number of days later, uh, the Magi who have made their journey from various parts of uh, uh, the East is how the actual scriptural stuff works. There's traditions of identifying them as coming from uh, various foreign parts. The idea that these wise foreign kings come together and come and make this journey and they arrive at their destination to adore not just Jesus, but also the the mother of God, also Mary, crucially, who is the central figure of the adoration after all. Uh, they, they arrive at, the, at, at the, the stable, at the manger on the 6th of January. And the word epiphany comes from the Greek epiphania, which means appearance or manifestation. And what it really refers to is the fact that this is the first time that Gentiles ever saw Jesus, because, of course, Mary and Joseph were themselves Jews. And so the three kings, in a way, their encounter with Jesus, their moment adoring him and, you know, bringing him their offerings, their gifts is kind of like, you know, him sort of his coming out party in a way, like he's coming out bursting onto the world stage. And that's what we're celebrating on Epiphany. And one of the things I find very moving about emphasis on the three kings is the idea that they are both kind of the first Christian pilgrims. You know, they are, they are going on this pilgrimage and it's why they have a, uh, they're considered patrons of all pilgrims. But they're also, you know, not actually Christian themselves because uh, Jesus has just been born and Christianity doesn't exist yet. And so they occupy this this interesting space of being both insiders and outsiders, both engaging with Christian customs and practices and things that will become traditions, while also having other foreign traditions of which they are said to be wise in. Right. So they're not just, you know, godless heathens. They're they're wise astrologers and savvy statesmen who bring gifts to a new king. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're often called in English either three kings or three wise men. Right, right. And do we know anything about them historically? We know more about the transportation of their bones, the translations of their bones between different regions and, and, and destinations. So they are meant to have um, ideally probably first been uh, recorded as uh, being in Constantinople. They're quickly moved by Eustorgius I, uh, who is the Bishop of Milan, uh, to uh, Milan, to the, the Basilica of St. Eustorgio. Uh, and then eventually they're translated again, as the term goes, to Cologne where they uh, establish a, a very important uh, pilgrimage. They, they're given names uh, from about the, the 5th century onwards. They're called Caspar, Balthazar, and Melchior. 
there are other names in other in other traditions, but those are the main ones that stuck in in Europe and in in Italy especially. And so we we kind of know more about the the transportation of their relics, uh, and so that they, they have this kind of again this ancestral thing of, of of returning to look at their their bones, which have been moved around in various places, and are the inspiration for why Cologne became in the medieval period one of the four major pilgrimage sites, along with Rome, Canterbury, and Santiago, and so. Even when they're uh, in uh, Milan, the stopping off point on the way to a variety of, of, of other pilgrimage sites, especially Rome. So the three kings we really see have this incredible popularity throughout the entirety of the Catholic world. Uh, but then in Italy, we also find another figure who, as far as I know, is unique to Italy, who's called La Befana. Right. Yes. Yeah. So my mother grew up celebrating with La Befana. She tells a very poignant story, actually, in one episode a couple years ago. I think it was a Christmas episode. I recorded her telling the story of she was so poor growing up. And she remembers that all the kids used to get gifts. They would wake up on the morning of January 6th. They would all have their gifts and they would come running into the street and, you know, and say, look what La Bafana brought me. Look what La Bafana brought me. And she would never have anything. Aww. Yeah, it's the saddest story. I, I'm probably going to choke up just even retelling it. And, um... She used to learn how to sew from this woman and then she would deliver like, you know, the the things that the woman sewed for other people and everybody would give her little tips, very tiny amounts of money. And so one year mm -hmm. she saved everything that she earned and she bought herself a gift and put it out. And then in the morning, like was like, oh, look what the Labafana brought me and ran out to all the isn't it like so heart-wrenching and like ran out to all the kids and showed them what she had gotten yeah wow <laughs> that's a really beautiful story Dolores. so it's like beautiful so bittersweet so beautiful and so heartbreaking but so you know that's kind of how i i enter into this tradition that's that's the first thing i think of of course so please tell us who is la bafana and a little bit more a little bit more about this tradition well, as you say so eloquently, she is the character who is usually believed to bring gifts to children in Italy. Um, so Santa Claus has really only been popularized in Italy since about World War II. And La Bifana is a bit of an older tradition, which I believe originated in Rome and was primarily popular in that kind of central part of Italy, but now has spread throughout the country. Um, and so she is always depicted as almost like a witch. She is an older woman and she's covered in soot and uh, she is often depicted riding around on a broomstick. But she's a good witch and she is known primarily for her housekeeping abilities and for the fact that she loves children. So there's a couple of different legends about La Befana and who she is and why she goes around bringing gifts to children. But I think the most common one is that the three kings, on their way to visit baby Jesus, stopped in her village. 
and she offered them her hospitality. She opened up her home to them and fed them and let them stay in her home overnight so that they could rest because they were so tired. And in exchange, they offered her the opportunity to join them on their pilgrimage. But she actually declined that offer because she felt like she had too much to do around the house. She just had so many chores and she really regretted that offer. She had a change of heart after they left and went out looking for them, but couldn't find them. Wow. And so now Italians say that she is riding around on her broomstick, uh, going from house to house and stopping in each one of them looking for baby Jesus. Um, and so that's why on the eve of Epiphany, so uh, this is the night between January 5th and January 6th, she'll stop by and if the children of the house have been good, she'll bring them presents or candies. But if they've been bad, she'll bring them a lump of coal. Just, just a little bit uh, Santa Claus-esque, right? Very similar to Santa Claus, yeah. So um, I didn't grow up with celebrating the Epiphany or La Bafana, did you? I did not know, but I remember when I found out about it, because I grew up with Santa Claus being, you know, an Italian American myself. And I remember finding out about the three kings when I was a young person. I was a, a probably like, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And what I was told was you had to leave your shoes out for them. And so I told my father, I'm, I just discovered this thing, this trick for getting free candy. So I'm going to, (laughs) I'm going to leave my shoes out and find out whether the three Kings are real. And my father being a very practical man who didn't have any candy hidden anywhere in the house was like, I can tell you right now they're not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say like ran out and bought candy. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a newish, I mean, I've heard about it, uh, you know, in, in my adulthood, but it's a little bit newish to me, the whole idea of it, but it's, it seems like she's very similar to what Santa Claus is uh, here, you know, in America, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Almost like the female Santa Claus. Right. Exactly. So, uh, how do Italians, uh, celebrate the epiphany? Uh, It's mostly just with the tradition of inviting her into their home. And so they'll often leave out food and wine for her just so that, you know, she can kind of refuel during her long night of going from house to house and then give the children little gifts. Kind of like leaving uh, milk and cookies, but we but as Italians, you leave sausage. Yeah, wine and, and sausage. Wine, <laughs> not milk and cookies. That I love that. <laughs> in, in some Hispanic uh, communities, they leave uh, cookies and hay for the camels that the three kings oh my gosh. that the Tres Reyes are, uh, are, are riding. Oh, that's nice. I spoke to a, a friend of mine who, who grew up with that tradition, and he mm. said if we couldn't get hay, we would go and like just grab grass and dry it and put it in wow. a shoebox under the bed. <laughs> that's very thoughtful. Yeah. It is. It is very thoughtful. You know, there's something about the Three Kings that's always been very interesting to me, kind of like majestic in some sense. And we we just published a two part uh, Christmas Eve episode with the Italian American Power Hour. And we were talking about Prezebi, you know, the very popular 
Neapolitan tradition of uh, very extensive mangers, et cetera, whole cities. <laughs> and Pat has Pat O'Boyle, uh, who is one of the co-hosts on the Power Hour, has a, a very extensive Prezebi collection. Oh, He's, of course he does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not if you know Pat, that does not surprise you. And he is very proud of it. And he's very into it. Uh, Also not a surprise if you know Pat. Or you've been listening to the show for that matter. (laughs) And he said something in part two that I thought was really interesting. I've, you know, as we're approaching Christmas Eve, I keep thinking about it. And he said the the scenes in the Prezebi, the Nabledam Prezebi is really like bringing Jesus to Naples. Yeah. Right? Like it's bringing Jesus to Naples. And he said at the time, the only people who were really... The, the world was so chaotic. The city was so chaotic. And the only people who were really paying attention to what was happening were, you know, the three kings and, and Mary and Joseph. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You definitely see that because we're in America. We're often used to nativity scenes where everybody is looking directly at the manger. And it's just a small cast of characters. But a Neapolitan presepe can have hundreds of characters. And I've seen um, Presepe that were meant to be viewed from a full 360 degrees. So obviously not everybody is facing the manger. People are facing all different directions. And there's a bunch of other little stories that are happening at the same time that the Magi or the Three Kings are there adoring the infant Jesus. There's, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff happening and arguments and lovers and, you know, crazy casts of characters. Right, because they're just they're living, yeah, while yeah. this miracle is happening, yeah, exactly. It's like somebody took a panorama picture of the entire city of Naples if Jesus had been born there in like the eighteenth century. Mm, well put, so Mallory, we're gonna talk a little bit now about other celebrations also along with Alexander. But we didn't talk uh, off mic that we were going to talk about this, but I thought you would appreciate that I'm actually going to go tomorrow night. So it's Christmas Eve. I'm going to go after midnight. We have uh, very close family friends who are like aunts and cousins to me. Mm -hmm. And their mother, God bless her, is 90 years old. And she knows how to divine like whether or not you have malocchio and how to remove it. The tradition is, right, that after midnight on Christmas Eve is the only time that this this wisdom can be passed on to someone else. Do you know why it's like after midnight on Christmas Eve? I have a couple hunches, but you're the expert. I have never heard an official explanation for this, but the way that I have always looked at it is Christmas Eve is really about the birth or the rebirth of the divine in the material world. And so when this tradition is handed down, it's almost like you are being reborn as somebody who has this spark of the divine in you and you're getting ready to share that with the world, with your community, with your family, with the people that you love. Oh, I like that. So I was watching, I think that's great. And I was watching a Christmas Carol the other night, not a Christmas Carol. Actually, there's a movie right out out now about Charles Dickens writing a Christmas Carol. That's what I was watching. And there's this part where he is writing it and he says something along the lines of 
how Christmas Eve is the day where almost how we think of Halloween, where like the veil between the departed and the living is lifted. Oh yeah, very much so. It's it's a solstice, right? So, or it's um, it's 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 pegged around the solstice. So the idea, you know, astronomically that the sun looks like it's standing still. This mm-hmm. this liminal period where, as you say, the veil is thinner, and there are many traditions of Christmas ghosts and the telling of of Christmas ghost stories as well. So the idea of clustering round the fire with your family and spooking each other out of it, but then also being there to like roast chestnuts and, you know, a bold, I can certainly speak from a, a bold English tradition of scaring children uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, and then, and then feeding them nice things. And, of and course. Okay. Yeah. You and know? that's, but that's, I think the other side of it is if you have a night of the year where you think, you know, it's the solstice is literally the longest night. It is the longest, the darkest, and thus the scariest. And so you're not going to go out on that night. You're not going to go out looking for trouble in the woods. You try to push it working late. You're all going to be together with your family indoors with the doors locked and the windows shut and the fire roaring and huddling together. And so even it has that other side of it where even though the outside is scary, uh, you know, the outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful as the right. song right. goes. And <laughs> That's right. That's you want to be together with your family. Absolutely. But, you know, when I when I caught that bit in that movie, I thought, I wonder if that's I mean, I, not a, I wonder, it has to be related to why you need to learn Malocchio on midnight on Christmas Eve, that mm-hmm. if that veil is lifted, you know, that must be how kind of that that power and that wisdom is transferred to you. There's definitely, I think, you know, the people who, because in Italy, Christianity, paganism, all of these things are often kind of thrown together and it's, it's made into a collage rather than just being like one or the other. And so I think it's no coincidence that the day that was chosen to uh, celebrate Jesus's birth is so close to the solstice. And uh, a lot of the symbolism that is used to celebrate that day is uh, related to the winter and the rebirth of light in the world. On a practical, magical level, light, you know, is also that which reveals. And when you're doing a, a diagnostic divinatory practice, like checking to see for Malocchio, you know, this is, oh, this, right. is, this is the kind of light you want. You want to shine a light on that thing. So you know what you're dealing with and you know how to exorcise it and you know how to bless the person afterwards. Mm. See, talking to the right people about this. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is taken very seriously because I, I remember one day a, a while ago, I was sitting at the table with my mother and uh, some of our very close family friends, it was a husband and wife, you know, they're, they're like in their eighties. So, um, the husband's from, I think if I'm remembering correctly, Salerno originally, and, uh, the wife from near where my mother is from. And I was asked, she's, she's kind of known as well for, you know, knowing how to interpret dreams and, and has kind of that touch. So I was just asking her a few questions, just very casually, you know, and then I asked her a little bit about, Malocchio and I said, you know, I need to come to your house on Christmas Eve and and learn it. Uh, but she's a little further away, so this this other woman's closer. She started telling me about it, and then she started like reciting the prayer. Oh, and 
And uh, and it was weird. And her husband got like really upset. And he was like, stop. Like in Italian, you know, in dialect, he's like, what are you doing? Like, you you know, and I was kind of like, please don't do it right now. <laughs> like, I don't, whatever that means, like whatever it might happen, I don't want to invite it in. But like, mm-hmm. I'm fine with waiting until Christmas Eve. But it, it was very tense. And he like stopped her. I don't know why she was going for it i don't know if she was just wrapped up in her conversation but um it never she never like finished but she started and and just as a man he was very like upset with her he was just like he even knew this is not right mm. i just thought it was just it just stuck with me as very powerful yeah and I, I wonder how much of that is also wrapped up in the emotion of if you are not the person who knows the prayer. The only time that you've ever heard it has probably been when you were sick and you had to have something taken off of you. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that is, you know, those are often very emotional memories for people who have gone through that kind of, um, you know, spiritual difficulty. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit um, here as we wrap up about some other celebrations kind of related to this topic. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, cakes are a huge thing around the world uh, to do with Twelfth Night or you know, oh, the, of course, yeah. the, the Tres Reyes or, or, or uh, uh, even, you know, Mardi Gras uh, cakes, King Cake. You know, the, the, the king that it refers to are, are the three kings. And there's actually been an Italian uh, King's Cake recipe that is trending on Facebook right now that we should definitely post in the show notes. Oh, terrific. We will for sure. Does that cake have um have a have a little baby Jesus in it or a bean or a token of some kind? Uh I'm not sure actually, but I know that that's how they do king cake in New Orleans, mm-hmm. where there's a very high percentage of Italian Americans in the population. Mm-hmm. So there are many traditions where not only is there a a crown shaped cake or a big a big donut shaped cake, I guess we could also say, but there's also a token of some kind, whether that's a, a fava bean sometimes, which obviously is interesting in light of, of, of San Giuseppe. Yeah. But is is also often a, a ceramic or in more recently as a plastic uh, baby Jesus. And whoever finds that in their slice of cake is the the king or the queen for the night. That's the tradition. That's the English tradition, twelfth night tradition. They're the twelfth king or queen uh but in many other traditions that person is not only king for the day but that person then has to has to throw the next party at candlemas so there's also this sense of looking forward to another festival of light i like that (laughs) i do so you guys are both terrific alexander this is the first time that i've i've been able to speak with you and meet you i look forward to meeting you in person when I listen to the two of you talk, I just think God is very real. You're perfect for each other. Clearly, both so passionate about these topics. Uh, it's really beautiful. Alexander, we will link to your your book, which our listeners might want to pick up on this topic, A Book of the Magi, Lore, Prayers, and Spellcraft of the Three Holy Kings. We'll link to that in our show notes. Before we say goodbye, Mallory, I hear you're going to publish a book. That is right, Dolores. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been on our show so often. I, our listeners love you, and I know they're going to be looking forward to this. So can you just give them a little sneak preview here? 
Well, the book is called Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration. And part of the reason why I was inspired to write it is after having worked on the blog Italian Folk Magic for about three years now, one of the most common questions that I receive from Italian Americans who are interested in our spiritual traditions is, how can I develop a spiritual practice that allows me to honor my ancestors, to invite their presence into my life, and to lean on their wisdom and their guidance. Yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah, and it's a it's been very moving for me as somebody who has always had this type of um, awareness. I was taught from a very young age to be aware of the sacrifices that my ancestors had made so that I could live a better life than they got to live. Mm -hmm. And I hope that the book reflects that way that I have personally sought to honor them in my life. And I hope that it inspires other people to think about their own family histories, both recent and extended, and to feel more rooted in the world. Because we all have a history, we all come from somewhere. And once you know where you're coming from, you get to decide where you're going to. Exactly. And you know, I'm working my way through a second book myself. My working title is Your Heritage is Your Superpower. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which I've talked about on the show um, often. It's, you know, I'm my schedule's so nuts, but I'm I'm trying. And I think, you know, the reason I love having you on the show is we come from different angles. I think, you know, just being different people and our perspectives and our personalities, but there's this overlap where I totally get what you're doing. Yeah, likewise. And, yeah, and we you know, we just resonate in in this space and I really I can't wait to read this book because I really think it's going to help me finish mine. <laughs> 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 but you know, I'm I'm I know you're very you're very schooled in actual, you know, the rituals and um and actual magic and, and things like that, that people can do where I'm kind of just more talking about a, a more macro, how, how you, you mentioned being, you know, rooted and, and how you can just be more confident in the world when you know where you come from and you know, and you have an awareness, as you said, you were raised to understand uh, who you came from and the sacrifices that had been made for you. And uh, so what I'm working on is just, is talking about a similar idea because I do really think there's a thirst for it. And I, it's comforting for you to say you found the same thing in your own work. It, it makes us stronger. Mm. Yeah. And it, you know, it makes us deeper and stronger. And I just feel like we're living in this world where everybody's always just floundering, almost finding to look for like, who am I? What am I? You know, how do I live? And then we have this rich culture we're born into and it's all right there. Yeah. Exactly. And once you know who you are also, nobody else gets to tell you that anymore. Mm -hmm. Nobody else gets to tell you that you have to go into some kind of box of what they think you're supposed to be. I love that. <laughs> I agree. And you know, the, the cool thing about this show and now with the power hour, we um, just referenced the last two Christmas Eve episodes we did as well. We talked a lot about this. And the cool thing is I get to meet people like you and Alexander and I get to meet, you know, like talk to John and Rosella and Pat and Anthony and all the guests we have on. And you realize that we're all kind of forging 
our old school and our new into into now, you know, and mm-hmm. and it doesn't fit anything. And people yeah. want, you know, people want to look at me because of maybe the job I have and the and the and the lifestyle, and maybe they think I'm a certain way, but I'm pretty old school, you know, like because yeah. you have you have like your own like your culture shapes you. Yeah, there's a a quote that I really love. Tradition is not the worship of ashes. It is the preservation of fire. That is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I actually know that one. I discovered it and we used it as a quote in one episode. And I I go back to it all the time. Well said. Wonderful place for us to land. I want to wish you both a very Merry Christmas and a very, uh, do you say Merry Epiphany? What do you say? Bright epiphany, I've heard before as well. I like that. Uh, But, but, you know, merriness is always good. Joyful epiphany as well. There's Mm. a, there's a big emphasis on the joy that the, that the kings had when they saw the star and when they saw the baby and when they met each other as well, which is something that, uh, I think is, is, is really beautiful about what you were both just saying is that we can come from many different perspectives, but we meet our companions along the way along the road we find mm-hmm. the others and we we bring our gifts together with each other and we are stronger for that mm-hmm. wonderful beautiful thank you to you both uh, i'm so grateful that you take the time to speak with me about these things <laughs> no thank <laughs> to be you honest. thanks for having us dolores happy epiphany merry christmas merry, merry christmas <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I hope you had a wonderful 2018. Dolores and I were so happy to have you on as listeners, and we're excited to bring you more episodes. And we're just going to keep this thing moving along. But for now, we're going to end off this episode by kicking it over to Dolores. Just reminding everyone, you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram, we are on Facebook, and we are on Twitter. You can just search for the Italian American podcast. Buon anno nuovo!